Everybody there? Okay. I heard earlier, uh, Pastor Ralphie was telling me about this church that he'd started, that all of a sudden the pastor died, and uh, they didn't have a replacement. And he says, never die without having a replacement. He said something like that. Never die without having a replacement, and you should always work towards that. Most of you I know are parents and grandparents, and you probably are working to make sure your children will survive after you've passed away, that they know right from wrong, they know how to do all sorts of things. Well, this very last week that we're going to study about, Jesus knows I've got one week before I'm going to be called home. And during this one week, I'm going to share the most important message I can with those who are going to be in front of me. I'm going to share a lesson, not just academically, but I'm going to talk about some key heart issues. Because I want to make sure they're ready for when I pass away. Now, how many know who he was talking about? Just raise your hand if you know who he's talking about. Alright, if you don't, raise your other hand. <laughs> now, he was talking to you. The message, he's talking to you. The song says he's coming back one day. How many believe that? That should be all of you. Arthritis shouldn't have any problem. Go ahead, raise that hand. So, he's coming back. And not only want to get you prepared before he left, he says, when I come back, I want to find out you were prepared. And we're going to talk about that. But if you take a look at Luke 19, and look at verse 9. That's why it's important to have a Bible, because I could say anything, right? But if you've got your Bible, you know I'm saying it right from there. Jesus is speaking, and this is just after he had been... Uh, at, at a home where some people didn't like, but he says, hey, I come to minister. I'm out there where the people are and I want to be part of that. So he says, today salvation has come to this house because he's also the son of Abraham. And look at that verse 10. For the son of man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. That's what he's going to try to get across this last week. I want you to be prepared so you can go door to door and look for those that are lost. So you can talk to those in your family members. So you can go into your schools and colleges and talk so you know how to reach people with the gospel. But also your heart has to be right. So we're going to talk about some heart issues here. And one of the big areas he talks about first is, how many of you have money in the bank? You got money in the bank? Now, in the United States, money in the bank doesn't mean anything anymore. Because I think we're getting like less than 1% interest is what, well, at least what I'm getting. Uh, that's all I'm getting, less than 1%. But I appreciate the 1%. That's better than nothing. But suppose the bank decided they're going to give me 0% and I thought they were going to give me something. Well, I would be upset. Would you be upset with the bank that gave you nothing? Hey, if you're not, give me your money. I'll take it. And uh, if you don't want anything, I'll take it and put it in. And then the, when you want it, just let me know and I'll send it to you. Well, this parable. And a parable is supposed to be a real issue that's going to reflect on your life. God trying to tell you something in a parable form. And he's going to do this in, in 19. It says, Then I heard these things spoke of a parable in Jerusalem, that the kingdom of God would appear immediately. And he said, a certain nobleman went off far to a country, received himself the kingdom in return. He was going to leave, 
He's going to come back. He's going to leave. He's going to come back. That's an important part of this. So he called the ten servants, delivered them ten Midas or some money, and said, do business until I come. What did he say? Say that with me. Do business until I come. Let's try it again. People in the back are just not doing nothing. <laughs> do business until I come. Now don't forget that. That's going to be very important. But his citizens hated him. And he sent a delegation after them saying, We will not have this man rule over us. That's important. And so that was when he returned, had received the kingdom. He'd received his kingdom, so now he's coming back. And he says, And then he commanded his servants to whom he had given the money, Call him in so I might know what every man did with what I gave him. Now how many did he say? Every man. Say that with me. Every man, everybody, he's come back, he's got his kingdom, he says, I want to find out what you did, what I gave you. That's pretty good. Nothing wrong with that, is it? I gave you something responsible for, I want to make sure you're doing it. And when the first one comes, Master, I've earned ten of what you give me. Hey, well done, the good and faithful servant. I'll give you authority over ten cities. Second came, says, Master, I've earned five. He says, well, good, I'll give you five cities. The other came in and says, Master, uh, here's your money back. I put in a handkerchief, and he says, I really didn't do anything with it. Well, he took a little indifference to that. He says, you did nothing with what I gave you, and I told you I was going to come back, and you have to give an account, and you still did Nothing? He says, well, I, I knew that you were a harsh man. I knew you were a stern man. And, and I didn't want the deposit to go without doing something. And I, I knew you, you reap where you haven't sown. This is a banker talking. He, he makes money off of your money. It's not his money, but it's your money. He's making money off of that. And so he says, I didn't want to lose that. But he says, but at least you could have put it in the bank and invested it somewhere else. And I could have got some interest from it. But he says to everyone who will be there, from whom doesn't have, he's going to take it away from me. For those who are working, I'm going to give it to that person. Now here's the story. In the parable, the person who went away was Jesus Christ. He's trying to get him ready. He says, I've got one more week with you. I'm leaving. And I'm going to indwell in your life some incredible truths that I want you to multiply and use them. And then when I come back, is Jesus coming back? Just go ahead and nod your head. Help make me feel good. Is Jesus coming back? Yeah, Jesus is coming back. And so he's going to ask you... What was your name again? Paul. He's going to say, Paul, what did you do with what I gave you? And Paul's going to say, there it is, Lord. I sang every week. I ministered every week. I used what you gave me. He says, very good. You're going to be in charge of ten choirs. That's what he's going to do. Uh, oh, not, not a good one? Okay. Now, do you know that every single person here has been given a spiritual gift? And when the Holy Spirit comes into you, you have the opportunity to have the spirit of the fruit which is one, but multiply in your life? 
Everybody here should be happy, right? No matter what circumstances it is. Is that right? You agree with me? Everyone should be full of joy and mercy and peace. Everyone, no matter what the circumstances are, because God gave us that through the power of the Holy Spirit. But also as a church, He gave us certain things. And I want you just to hold your place and turn to Ephesians. That's General Electric Power Corporation. that help you. And Ephesians, probably one of the familiar verses, you probably have heard this and heard this and heard this. But it comes out of chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4. Now, see, you wish you bought your Bible, right? Yeah. Maybe the person next to you would share. I doubt it. <laughs> Ephesians chapter 4, are you there? After talking about some spiritual gifts, matter of fact, this church is more written about this church than any other church in the Bible. You find it in Revelation, you find it here, you find it speaking to First and Second Timothy. So if you want to know something about a church and how things are going good and how they're not, read, read this. But here's what he says. Uh, verse 11, chapter 4, verse 11. And he himself gave some to the apostles and the prophets and evangelists and some pastors and teachers. Now here we go. Verse 12, this is for you. Unto the equipping of the saints for the work of the ministry, for the edification of the body of Christ. So when the Lord comes back, he already knows... I've given you certain spiritual gifts that you're supposed to use to build up the congregation to edify or lift up the whole body. He says, now what did you do with those? He's going to ask you that. Now, you've got a whole week, right, to learn these. Is that right? Just say, right. You've got a whole week to learn these. Is that right? Right, so you're going to learn these in one week? That's all it takes. I can tell you're intelligent people. That's all it's going to take is one week to learn this, but why? Look at verse 13. Till we come to the unity of faith, that means God wants us to be one big massive army. Going the same directions, thinking the same thing, being all part of this. (coughs) Uh, Until we come to the knowledge of the Son, uh, to the perfect man, to the measure and the stature and the fullness of Christ. So we will measure ourselves, not against the most spiritual person here, but against our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. That always gives us room to grow. That always says there's something else we can learn. And then look at 14. Till we should no longer be as children tossed to and fro, or carried away with every wind of doctrine or trickery of men, the cunning of, of deceitful and crafty. But speak the truth in love, may grow up into all things into him who is the head that is Christ. Now when it's all working, this is the direction you're going to, look at 16. From whom the whole body, that's you, Join it and knit it together. They can understand that. The body is just one one complete piece. According to the effectual work of every part, that's every single one of you have a part in the body of Christ, cause the growth of the body for edifying itself in love. (coughs) Now, spiritual love is an action. But that's the direction that God is going to take through Jesus Christ this last week. He says, I want my people to work as a body. I want them to learn how to love one another. I want them to learn how to build up that body, individual families, individual members, on a a day-to-day basis. So turn back to Luke chapter 19. You already know that Jesus has said, I'm coming back, and I'm going to ask you, what did you do with the gifts that I've given you? 
What did you do in the body of Christ? That you, so there's going to be a little accountability, but you're going to be well prepared. You're going to be one of the group that's of the ten. You won't be the guy that doesn't. You'll be one of that group. I almost guarantee you, you will be. In chapter, Luke chapter 19, verse 28, this is the Sunday that uh, we like to uh, celebrate with Christ coming into the town and the people getting all excited about him coming. And they should be. They were looking for a Lord. They were looking for a Messiah. And it says he comes into town, and I'm going to pick up where he says in verse 30, Go into the village opposite you, where you will enter and find a colt tied, of which no one has ever ripped. Loose it and bring it here. And if anyone should ask you, why should I loose it? Then tell him, because the Lord has need of it. So those who went out on their way and found Jesse said to them, and when they lose the colt, the owner said, Why are you losing the colt? And he said, The Lord has need of this. And then they brought him to Jesus. And they threw their clothes on the colt. And they sat Jesus on it. And as he went in, many spread their clothes on the road. Then as he was drawing near to the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of disciples began to rejoice and praise God. And with a loud voice, they started to Say, Blessed is the King that comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory to the highest. But some of the Pharisees called from the crowd and said, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. But he said, I tell you that if these keep silent, the stones shall immediately cry. They were looking for relief the problems that they were in. Suppression they had from maybe the Roman government of reestablishing their own kingdom. Jesus comes into town. The people that knew him recognized who he was and they started to praise him. Putting down a, a, psalm, a branch would be fine, but if you put your coats down in that area and you only had one or two, that's a major sacrifice. But it was a sign of respect that they had for him as he was coming in. We don't see much of this unless it's some type of rock star. Soccer player. Football player. Someone that gets attention. And it may only last for a while. And then it disappears. But if the media can get a hold of it, because there's money involved, they'll keep it hyped up as long as they can, because of profit to be made. There was no profit to be made with Jesus. He was exactly who he claimed to be. And when he came into town, there was a reception of people that knew who he was. And he had a message. When his disciples were sharing this, the Pharisees knew exactly what they were talking about. They're claiming Jesus is the Messiah. And so they said, tell your guys to stop this. We don't want to hear this anymore. Jesus, if they stop, I guarantee you, the stones will start singing out. Now I'd like to have been there. 
to see those stones sing. Because he doesn't lie, does he? No, he doesn't. He doesn't lie, does he? No, he doesn't. It's impossible for God to lie. He came into this town. He didn't need permission. He's the Messiah. Now we have some issues back in, in America where they don't want you to speak about God. They don't want you to speak about Jesus. They don't want us to speak about Him in our schools. They don't want us to speak about Him where we work. They don't want you to speak about Him with government. Do you have that problem here? They don't want you to speak about God or Jesus? Some do. Well, these I have some students here. They'll tell you. I'm always encouraging them to find out. What does your principal leave at your school? And I tell them, if you have to get into trouble just to go to the principal to talk about Jesus, go ahead and do it. I'll back you up. I tell the people that work in corporations, can you talk to the plant manager? Can you talk to your boss and find out what they believe about Jesus? You know, you have the right to talk about Jesus, don't you? It's there in Matthew chapter 28, 18 and 19. Jesus says, I give you all authority. And he was the authority. So they really can't shut you up or hide the gospel message out. They've been trying to do it for over 2,000 years. But they're trying to get better at it. How many of you had a chance to talk to somebody this week? Just let me see. I had a chance to share the gospel. Or I planted a seed. I'm not saying you have to give the whole gospel, but I, I had a chance. Okay. Uh, how many in two weeks I've had a chance? Okay, let me go way back then. Five weeks. I've talked to at least one person. All right. Are the rest of you just basically shy? Basically shy? All right. Now, if you'll see me right after the service, well, I'll tell you right now. Here's what I recommend you do on Monday morning. When you go to wherever you're at, you just ask whoever you're talking to, what did you do on Sunday? Let them share what they did. And they're going to ask you, what did you do? Oh, you got them. I went to church. And you know what they said they were at church? And they'll either be with you or they're not with you, but that's okay because you're going to share it. And you get a chance to ask them, did you learn that at your church? You're going to be nice, you're going to be polite, but you've already got the conversation going. You have the right to do it. When I was at the airport... Uh, we have what we call Starbucks. Have you ever been in a Starbucks? Alright, Starbucks is a very expensive coffee. And you don't want to drink very much of it. But uh, I found out you can start a conversation with anybody about God if you're willing to do it. Young boy at Starbucks. And you can almost tell who has been to church with their grandparents based on their nationality and who's living at home. And sure enough, I talked to this young boy... He was waiting on me and there's other people back there. And I said to him, I think I said something to him like, are you working all week or something? He says, well, I have to work on Tuesday. I said, well, when do you get to church? He said, no, yeah, I don't. But I used to go with my grandmother. Now, as soon as he mentions grandmother, he said, you know, grandma would be very proud if you went to church with her this week. They'll do things for their grandmother, their parents. But you're in the conversation. Now, I asked the people that are with me to go there and buy some Starbucks and talk to him. So, some of them are here. They'll give a personal testimony on Wednesday of what they did. 
But you have the right to do that. When Jesus came into this town, it's Jerusalem. Look at verse 41. As he drew near, he saw the city and he wept over it. There's an emotional response. This is Toriavel. Is that right? Toriavel? I've been taking Rosetta Stone now for three years. I'm not getting any better. What kind of response would Jesus have if he came into town? Would he cry? Would he weep? Would he be a little upset? Especially if he knew he had one week to try to solve as many problems in this town as he possibly could. I believe it says here that Jesus wept. He knew that he had one week. Maybe he wept because he didn't see the laborers out in the field that he thought were going to be there. He says, I got one week to train those who are going to replace me. But they'll be out there on the field doing exactly what I'm doing. I've got one week left. Or maybe he was weeping because he knew. Oh, thank you very much. Oh. Where, where's the table? Down there. Do you know as you get older you can get down but you're not getting up? Oh, all right. So I could kick it over, huh? Okay, I, I got it. I got it. But maybe he knew that this city in a short time was going to be destroyed. Maybe he knew that there's going to be Christians going to be scattered out of here in a short time. He says, I really have got to get them prepared. I've got one week to do this. I've got to touch their hearts and I've got to make a, a difference with them. It'd be years before the city was changed, but he says, there's some real heart issues here I've got to change. There's some things that are generating from the hearts and some concepts that I've got to try to change this week the best that I can. And he starts this change in the temple. Our case might call it the uh, church today. It wasn't the synagogue, it was in the temple. And look at verse 45. Then he went into the temple and began to drive out those who bought and sold in it. Now this is the second time he's cleansed this temple out. And he said to them, it is written, my house is called the house of prayer. But you've made it to a den of thieves. And it was the teaching daily in the temple. The chief priests and the scribes and the leaders and the people sought to destroy him. And were unable to do anything for all the people were very intense to hear him. When Jesus came into town, people were going to praise him and worship him. Except for the scribes and the Pharisees. And everybody was for him. Each day, when he starts to share the truth about your spiritual condition, they're either going to hate him or they're going to kill him. But he's going to tell the truth. He can look into your heart this morning. He knows what's on your mind. He knows your, your, your places where you're hurt. He knows your hidden secrets. He knows what you're hiding. Uh, he knows what you do when no one else is around. And he says, I've got to get that all out because I want my people prepared to take over when I leave. 
But he says, you've made my house into a house of thieves. In our area, we've got Assembly of, of God, which is a little bit different than us. We've got a Presbyterian that's more structured in form than, than what we are in our church. We've got United Methodists who's got good procedures and good works and used to give a great gospel message. And we have our, our Catholics, which is probably our biggest area of uh, people. And then right across from our church is the Jewish synagogue. So we've got a big group. But if I was to drive into our town, a stranger driving our town, and they were to ask the question, do you have a house of prayer here? They would say, well, we got churches. You looking for a house of prayer? Well, we got the Methodist church, we got the Catholic church. They wouldn't know how to respond. What's happened to our churches? God says, I want my church to be known as a house of prayer. Or a house of people that can communicate with God. That can talk to God like you're talking with me, but out of respect. I understand you guys have a great house of prayer here. A great time of fellowshipping and working. But it's not universal. He says, it needs to be changed. In Isaiah 56, 7, I'll read that to you. Even then I bought my holy house and made them joyful in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and their sacrifice would be accepted on my altar, for my house should be called the house of prayer for all nations. Now, you're international. But God says, I want you to build it up to an international house of prayer. What night is prayer meeting here? Thursday night, house of prayer. And how many people are normally there at the house of prayer? Thursday night. Just the two of you? Oh, the, the four of you are there? Okay. And uh, there's some back there. And, and what do the rest of you guys do on that night? You have three. Okay, so the rest of you are those three. That's great. And it only takes two or three people to get together. But when you get together, you do have to pray. I have to remind our, our two teenage girls here that as much as they can talk to each other, they should be able to talk to God the same way. Right, girls? And when was the last time I reminded you to that? This morning, upstairs. <laughs> They're not listening to me, I can see. Yes. It's odd, though, what we've made this. Even in Jeremiah 7, 14, he says, uh, Has this house, which is called by night, may become a den of thieves? Behold, even I say it's the Lord. We've got catering halls that are like churches. Uh, we've got wedding chapels that are disguised as churches. We've even got social clubs that are acting like churches. And some churches are actually museums. Nothing really going on there. We've got some churches that are known for their architectural wonder. Well, you know, we need to have a few churches right here in this town when someone comes in and says, where's the house of prayer? They're pointing right here. Can I get someone to pray with me? They'll say, yeah, let me give you a couple names of this person, that person, they'll pray with you. I understand you've got really good prayer here. But Jesus is saying, if I can't get my own people to communicate in prayer, how am I going to get the rest of the world to do it? I says, I want you to be known. I'm going to be leaving here in a short time as the house of prayer. 
And once they got that house of prayer, once he got all those people clearing out of that were doing other things, and, and there's other sections you can read that tell you exactly what they were doing, then they started worshiping daily in the temple and teaching. And it was so intense, the scribes and the Pharisees couldn't do anything about it. You know, that just sort of tells me, if you can get that type of response in the place where you work, or in the marketplace, or in your school, there's not much they're going to be able to do about the power of God changing a person's life. Matter of fact, the best people you can have employed with you are good Christians that love the Lord and want to serve Him. Because they'll make a difference no matter where they are. But the leaders still started to destroy him. They didn't like it because Jesus was teaching truth. And no one in some parts of the world wants to find out they're wrong. They want moral relativism, culture of truths. They like to say, if it's okay for you, fine, but it's not okay with me. But Jesus was saying there is only one truth. Didn't he say, I'm the way, the life, and the truth? No man comes to the Father except through me? Didn't he say, my word is truth? He says, how shall a young man change his ways? By reading God's word. By being exposed to it. And when you start saying you've got the truth, you're getting that same class of Jesus now. When you step out and say, I'm sorry, I only believe what God says, people are going to say, well, what about all the other beliefs? Well, I'm standing with God. God will expose them for what they really are. And that's what Jesus is going to do. He says, there's not going to be any secrets with Jesus. He says, we're going to learn their hearts. Look at chapter 20, verse 9. In one short week, they're either going to love him or hate him. But he's going to do his best to get him prepared because he knows he's going to leave and he's going to be coming back. In his absence, he needs people like you to keep spreading the gospel message. People like you to keep training and teaching others. So it says in verse 9, and he says, tell this people a parable. A certain man planted a vineyard and leased the vineyard and went off to a country for a long time. Now as the vineyard time, he sent servants to the vine dresser that they might give him some of the fruits in the vineyard. But the vine dressers beat him and sent him away empty handed. And again he sent another servant and they beat him also, threatened him very shamefully and sent him away empty handed. And again he said a third, and they wounded him, and they cast him out. Then the elders of vineyard said, well, what shall I do? I'll send my beloved son. Probably they'll respect him when they see him. But when the vineyard, vineyard dresser saw him, they reasoned themselves and saying, This is the heir. Come, let us kill him, that the inheritance may be ours. So they cast him out of the vine and killed him, and therefore... And therefore, he says, what will the owner of the vineyard do to them? He will come and destroy the vine dresser and give the vineyard to others. And when they heard this, they said, certainly not. Then he looked at them again and said, what then 
is this that is written, The stone which the builder rejected has become the chief stone. Whosoever falls in the stone will be broken. On whoever falls, it will grind him the powder. Now look at that 19. And the chief priests and scribes that very hour sought to lay hands on him, but they feared the people, for they knew he spoke the parable against them. Jesus learned early who his enemies were and who his followers were. He didn't mind pointing it out to them. He says, let's be honest. You're not with me. And I know it. But it won't stop me. I'll keep going. Nothing is going to slow him down, he said. But there's some issues at your heart that have to be changed. Here's an issue that I want you to look at. Turn back just to where we were uh, to Luke 19. In this story, there's two issues that you might not see. The first issue had to deal with did they believe the master was going to come back? You see, the one that did nothing but God gave him, I don't believe, he believed Jesus was coming back, so he did nothing with what God gave him. The second thing is down there, verse 27. But bring here those, the enemy of mine, who did not want me to reign over them. There are some people that don't want God to rule in their life. They too will produce... Oh, they'll say something. I mean, they'll, they'll come to church every single Sunday. They'll clap their hands. They'll praise. But when they walk out, that's it. They don't want God to rule in their life they too will have to give an account. He says, I know the issues that are in your heart. Those that really love the Lord, the illustration is the lamp. They don't hide it. Because in that day, people needed that light so they could see where they were going, so they could expose the darkness to them. And if you were the person that had the lamp, people were following you because you had the direction. You ever drive down the road at night and you think a person's got their high beams on? Hey, what's wrong with you? The high beams, don't they blind you? Can you tell that they're on? Do you guys get out at night? Well, I just want to make sure. Want any response? But that bright light catches your attention and that's what we need to be in the community. That bright light. Don't worry if someone else ridicules you or mocks you. That's part of what you're going to face. But you're serving God. And He'll protect you. He'll give you your rewards. He'll honor you. But you need to be the bright light in the community. And this is the community. Now, the young boys right there, that, uh, what college you guys go to again? Yes, that's right. I'm looking at you. UK. They're going to be the bright light there in the UK. We're going to hear reports about them. Right, guys? 
would be good to get some reports there. On the internet, two students come back from, where are we? Spain, come back from Spain. Go to the UK, start a revival at that school, and then it spreads. Counting on you guys. Counting on you guys. Are you guys counting on them? Let's pray for them before they leave tonight. And they're going to pray for you. When they come back, all they can find out is everybody in this town is talking about this church. Because of how your life has been changed because of the life of Jesus Christ that was in you. Now hard issues, they're the things you're holding in your heart that aren't what they should be. You know, there's a way that Christians ought to be and then there's a way they are. You know what I'm talking about, right? Hey, God knows the truth here, right? So let's try it again. You know what I'm talking about, right? Yeah. And so God says, I'm going to talk about some hard issues now and you're going to have to work through them. Why? Because I want to get you ready. I'm leaving. And you're going to be in charge. And the first thing he talks about, look at verse 20. Taxes. Don't you love it when taxes go up? Do you have good things to say about your government when taxes go up? It's always great to pay a tax, isn't it? You love paying a tax. Say, thank you, Lord, for the new taxes that are about to come. I'm encouraged by them. And yes, I can do without food and clothing. But when they asked Jesus, they knew there was a problem. In verse 20, so they watched him and sent spies to pretend to be righteous, that they might seize on his word in order to deliver him over to the authorities. And then they said, teacher... We know that you're a teacher, and rightly so, and do not show personal favor and teach the way of God and truth. This is, is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? Now, we still have people in America that are debating that, and so they cheat on their taxes. They juggle this or juggle that. Or one of the big things they like to do in our area is get paid off the books, which means we're going to pay, but we're not taking any taxes out. And that catches up to you because if you ever need Social Security, you're not even on the record. You know, you always want to do what is honest. And, uh, and we'll get people that come to my house and do work and say, I can do this work for you, and here's what it costs without the taxes. And I says, well, we can't do that. Just give me a discount and I'll pay the taxes. And that doesn't work either. So I always tell them, I have to pay the taxes. I have to be honest with God. I want to do what is right. I'd like that discount, but I'm not going to not pay the taxes to get around what he says. So he says, is it lawful? Look at verse 23. Uh, but he perceived their craftiness and said to them, Why do you test me? Show me Denaire, whose image is on it? And Caesar's? They said, well, render unto Caesar the things that are unto Caesar, and the God the things that are God. Now here's the little catch thing. Most people are faithful paying their taxes, but not faithful paying God. Yeah. Oh, they'll, they'll tell me, yes, I'm paying all my taxes. I make sure the government gets every percentage, even if it's all the way up to 36%, maybe 45 year old. I'm paying it all. And I ask him, well, what, what do you give the Lord? 
He said, well, the Lord understands. No, no, that's what I ask you. I know he understands. What do you actually give? And do you give it from your heart? You get all types of comments. You have to be honest in this area. God tells in Romans that the government was here to protect us. The government's supposed to be. That's how it ought to be now, folks. It's not what it's always, but it's supposed to be there to protect us. And we're supposed to contribute to that in order to help it function the right way. And they have a right to judge when we get a hand to keep civil authorities or civil civilizations the right way. And God wants us to support our church also. And he looks at a heart attitude. Well, let me jump to that heart attitude. I'll jump up here. Look at verse twenty or chapter twenty one. Jesus speaking, he knew money was critical. He knew they, they resented paying taxes to the Roman government, but they had to because they weren't getting what they thought. But look at this. And he looked up and he saw a rich person, uh, chapter 21, pulling, putting a gift in the treasury, and he saw a certain poor widow putting in two mites. And he said, Truly I say to you that the poor widow has put in more than all. For of all of this abundance have put in the offering to God, but she put out of her poverty in all that was livelihood. Her attitude was completely different. She had a heart relationship, a love for God, that she wanted to see the work being done. And it was a living sacrifice. It wasn't money she received from playing the lotto like a lot of people do, or it wasn't a tax refund, or wasn't extra money. This was a living sacrifice for her. Her heart was right. And God likes a cheerful giving, does He? Are you afraid of that verse, folks? God likes a cheerful giver, right? I didn't hear any laughter at all when that plate was going by. Matter of fact, I thought somebody just kind of looked at it. What's this? But I can see for your tithes and offering, you guys love the Lord too and are willing to share. But Jesus says, we got to get this straight, folks, because you're not going to get rich serving me financially. Spiritually, you will. And I can take care of you. But your attitude has to be right. He says, I'm giving you spiritual gifts that you cannot buy. In return, I'm asking you to use them to multiply them greatly so you can reach the people in this town. But your heart has to be right even about money. Some people, probably none here, if the opportunity is right to earn money, you won't see them in church. I believe everybody has to work. But you have options. If you can control when you have to work, Try not to work when you're trying to serve God. Let God determine when you're going to work. And He will take care of you. Did God promise to take care of you? Seek ye first the kingdom of God and all these things be added unto you? You don't know how that verse is true until you're actually seeking and asking. And I'm sure we can get testimonies from here from people that had nothing and God blessed them. But people had a lot and God still blessed them. Because their heart attitude was right. 
Well, there was a whole bunch of other heart attitudes I wanted to give you. But I don't want to take all your time. But this I'll share with you. Everything that Jesus has said here, and I'll come back on Wednesday and share some more, was absolutely true. Nothing was wrong. He was getting you prepared. How many guys were in the military here? Military at one time? Sir, thank you for that. Thank you, thank you. When you took your military training, they were preparing you for war, weren't they? Well, for the potential for war, put it that way. And they were serious because they wanted you to know how to fight the enemy when you got out there. And they came down on you pretty hard if you didn't know how to use your rifle. Because that was going to be your primary tool. A long time ago, they might have said, do you know how to use your sword? Which today we know is God's word. The instrument, the offensive instrument we use to fight our enemy. Jesus is saying, I've got one week to get you prepared for every issue of life. And he covers all those issues of life which we'll cover this week to get you prepared to take over when he leaves and get you ready when he comes back. When is Jesus coming back? Soon, and it could be today, right? It could be. Are there any clouds out there? It's got to be a cloudy day. Because it's just like he left and he went up into a cloud, right? So it's got to be a cloudy day. But if he's coming back today, you've got this afternoon maybe to talk to somebody. Maybe it's a husband. Maybe it's a wife. Maybe it's a son or a daughter. Because you don't know. You know who else is coming? If Jesus doesn't come back and take you, death is on its way. It's appointed unto man once to die, and after that, the judgment. You're older now than when you first walked in here, aren't you? So you're one step closer, but mind you, you're one step closer to death, but that's a win-win situation for Christians. To live and to serve God, it's what you want to do, but to die and be with Christ is even better. But you've got today. One last battle that Jesus is going to fight. And it's that one that we talked about in the beginning. And Jesus says, For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which is lost. Which means I've come here to reach every person with the gospel message of Jesus Christ. And that's what I'm going to command you to do, is to reach those in your neighborhood, your sphere, starting with your family and spreading out with the gospel of Jesus Christ, and then to train them to be His disciples. And what did He do? Well, God sent Him to die on the cross, in your place and my place, so we could have eternal life. He said, no man took this from me. I willfully gave it so you could have it. In our area where a lot of Catholic people are, and I like to talk to our our Catholic people because they don't know that you can have eternal life. 
And they don't think anybody else knows either. So I always like to take them back to a section that you're familiar with, and I can use their own Bible with this. So if you turn back in closing to 1 John chapter 5. This is a section that surprises so many in our area. And it may be a surprise here to those in yours. But it's, did I tell you 1 John? 1 John 5. Starting at verse 9, it says, If we receive the witness of men, the witness of God is greater. For this is the witness of God, which he testified. Uh, he who believes in the Son of God has the witness in him, and he who does not believe in God has made him a liar, because he's not believed the testimony that God has given his Son. Kind of makes it very simple there if you're trying to share the gospel with somebody. If you believe what God says... Or you don't believe in what he says. There's, there's no maybe or I might. There's no third gospel. That's his choices. But look at this, verse 11. This is the testimony God has given to us eternal life. A lot of times I've never seen that in the scriptures. And I said, well, there it is for you. And this life is found in his son. I said, where's the son? Where's it found? He said, well, it's found in his son. God has given us eternal life and it's found in his son. Verse 12. Another simple statement. He who has the Son has life. But he who does not have the Son of God does not have life. It can't get any clearer than that, can it? Those that have the Son have life. Those that don't have the Son don't have life. There's no maybes. There's no doubts. It's right there. It's written for you. Look at verse 13. These things I've written to you that believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. God doesn't want to leave you doubting. He doesn't want you to be thinking about it. He doesn't want you to wonder, well, what if I do this or do that? He says, no. If you have the Son, you have life. If you don't have the Son, you don't have life. You can't have it any other way. But I wrote this so you would know that you have eternal life. And that you may continue to believe in the name of the Son of God. Now, this is the confidence we have that if we ask Him. And if we ask Him anything according to His will, He's going to hear us. And if we know that He hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have a petition that we've asked of Him. One thing I know for certain, according to this, if you ask Jesus Christ to be your Lord and Savior, and you ask with your mouth, but the petition comes from your heart, and you're accepting who He is, you have eternal life. Let's pray. Our God and Heavenly Father, Your word is just too great, too powerful. Too much, Lord, to comprehend in one sitting. But Lord, this we can comprehend. That Jesus Christ came to seek and to save those who were lost. But thank you, Lord, that your word makes it very clear that all have lost. All are looking for the Savior. And that includes all that don't know Jesus this morning. I thank you that we've heard that Jesus Christ came to this life. He died on the cross in my place so that my sins be forgiven. He was buried and resurrected the third day. 
And God says, Whosoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Let me ask you now, every head bowed and every eye closed. Do you remember a day when you asked Jesus Christ to be your Lord and Savior? Do you remember a time when God just spoke to your heart and you knew this was it? That I put my complete trust and faith in Him. Knowing that it wasn't any good works. It wasn't anything that I did, but it's what He did for me in the cross. That covered all my sins that I could have eternal life. Do you remember asking Him to be your Savior? You say, I'm not sure. Let me give you some assurance today. If you'd like to accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you can follow me in this simple prayer, but it's, it's simple that we're saying it, but it's very perplexed in what God will do in your life if you believe it in your heart. You say, Dear Lord, just say that in your heart. Dear Lord, I come this morning knowing that I have sinned against you. I understand, Lord, there's a punishment for those sins, spiritual and physical separation for you. But Lord, I know that Jesus Christ died on the cross in my place for my sins to be forgiven. He didn't wait for me to be perfect. He died while I was yet a sinner. And you said, Whosoever calls upon the name of the Lord would be saved. This morning, Lord, I'm calling on the name of Jesus Christ to be my Lord and Savior. I'm putting my complete trust in what He did for me in the cross for my eternal life. I thank you now for saving me. Every head bowed and every eye closed. Don't ever do anything to embarrass anybody. But if you said that prayer this morning for the first time, would you just raise your hand and say, I, I said that prayer, Pastor, for the first time. I prayed that prayer. Is there anybody here today? I prayed that prayer. Most of you, I believe, are saved. So I'm going to ask you to do something. I'm going to ask you to be the light that you already know and that you purposely try to reach somebody with the gospel today or tomorrow. Our God and Heavenly Father, I pray myself into that or that I'd be able to be the light in this area to share about Jesus Christ but at least get people thinking going down that road that they could have eternal life. And I pray for all that are here too. Lord, as they want to be your spokesperson, they want to be your light, encourage and strengthen and build them up, Lord. Let them see the gifts that you've already given them, the knowledge and the wisdom. Let their eyes be opened up that they can see those right in front of them that need to know Jesus Christ, your Lord and Savior. And then, Lord, help us to disciple someone to take our place when we leave, just as our Lord and Savior was doing that last week, getting everybody prepared. And one day we'll come back and ask, what did you do with what I've given you? I thank you in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.